0: The Kia and Hyundai trend continues to be a newsmaker this summer in Ohio and in Cleveland. We'll be talking about it on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And coming up at the end of the podcast, we'll have a visit from Mark Bona, author of the number one sports biography in the nation, released this week. More to come. Let's begin Dave Yost, who wants to be your next governor, has sued everybody under the sun as attorney general for damages done to the state. Big pharma, small businesses, you name it, if there's a grievance to be made, he makes it. But when it comes to the crisis-level damage being done in the state cities because of Kia and Hyundai car thefts, Yost says that's just not his problem. Layla, what gives?
1: Yeah, the problem, of course, is is a lack of of engine immobilizers in the ignition column of these vehicles that make them extraordinarily easy to steal. And young people are stealing them for joy rides and posting their their escapades to social media. But too frequently, they're t- these joy rides are escalating into greater violence. There've been shootings associated with kids and stolen vehicles. Not to mention the fact that a lot of these kids don't know how to drive, which is a danger unto itself. People have been hit and killed on, on account of these. So Ohio cities have been filing lawsuits against the manufacturers. But Yo says that's that's an issue left to the best left to the cities and to local prosecutors. He did not join a letter signed by 18 state attorneys general urging the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to impose a recall on the affected models of Kias and Hyundai's. And he hasn't sued the companies on the state's behalf for the company's faulty design that has made these vehicles so vulnerable to theft. His, he says, barring some specific false or misleading representation by the company to the contrary, the fact that a car from a particular manufacturer is easier to steal than others is not a violation of state law. The fact that the cars are being stolen is a criminal act committed by individuals with criminal intent you know neither does does there appear to be any legislation in the works to address the problem which is draining city resources and and the, you know also impacting the car
0: insurance car insurance industry so and look there is no cause that he hasn't signed on I mean anytime the attorneys general get going he's there it this is a striking failure and it gets back to the whole idea that the folks in Columbus really don't like the cities they, they, I mean, this is a huge problem for Cleveland and other cities. I mean, it's, yeah,
1: I was trying to remember back on, on the other causes that he has signed on to. There isn't always a state law violation. No, this is civil. It.
0: It's not a state law. He he yeah. goes after people all the time for for damages that they've done. It's not state law. He files civil suits over right. and over again. Big Pharma wasn't a state law. He went after them civilly. I uh, It's the, his explanation was so hollow. And it really does put the cities in a very bad position. I had one of my radical thoughts about this. So let me let me lay Here this out. What Buckle up. <laughs> what would happen? Justin Bibb in the event on Tuesday that we had down by the lake, talk about lakefront planning, mentioned that something like 80% of the revenue the state gets comes from the cities. I don't know if the 80% is right, but I do know the majority of the financial engine of the state comes from the cities. What if we stopped it? What if all the people... All the businesses in Cuyahoga County, Cuyahoga County Council passed some act. They put together an escrow fund and all of the businesses, instead of sending their income taxes into the state, the withholding, we put it in escrow and said, until you start to do what you should for the cities, we're going to keep our money. So they still pay it. It's not that they're not paying it. You know, Dave Yost would sue and raise all kinds of alarm. But look, Mike DeWine openly defied the Ohio Supreme Court with no with no ramifications you got a state now defying the u.s supreme court refusing to redistrict even though they've been found to be unconstitutional we're now in a time where there's no ramifications for defying the law so what if we just defied it so we're not giving you our money we'll keep our money you know and and until you start to be responsive to the desperate needs we have in this city you don't you don't get our financial engine
1: Well, there's only no ramifications for defying the law if you're a Republican. I agree with
0: that. Yeah, I thought the same
2: thing.
1: What are they going to do
0: though, Layla? If you just sue,
1: and then the the uh, very biased Ohio Supreme Court will come crashing down on us. And
0: and (laughs) you ignore them, like Mike Dewine and John Houston and all the rest of these guys have over time. So what happens if you just if you don't accept the rule of law, which has become the Donald Trump era, you would at least. Jam them up financially because there's no leverage. They just keep sticking it to the cities. I what what's also hilarious about this? We finally have the issue that Republicans in Columbus think there should be local control on, and it's is and Hyundai's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Chris, what if we take it a little bit further and just created our own state called the Western well, Reserve, right? We, and just said, I'm
0: all for that. Uh,
2: we're we're, a, we're uh, seceding.
0: We put together that whole package a few years yeah,
2: just, ago. And it just feels part like part. That it's off and it. so Let's much go. worse, right? Because that was, I don't know, I'm going to guess here, but like 2016, and it's yeah. just been downhill.
0: No, look, I, I've argued for that for a long time. We, we did that half tongue-in-cheek, but half legitimately. We looked at the financial power that we have, but... Dave Yost not taking action. Mike DeWine giving us crickets about what's going on. We don't have representation in Columbus, but we have all the money. So that's the leverage. We should use it. Radical idea. You heard it on Today in Ohio. (laughs) Ohio governor officials are saying now that the latest screw up at the unemployment office, the one that exposed private data to scammers, did not corrupt the state's OHID system, but they're not answering questions. Why should anyone trust them, Lisa? What don't we know yet?
3: Well, we at the PlainDealerInCleveland.com sent a list of questions to the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services. We asked, you know, who was responsible for this code flaw that caused $190,000 in jobless benefits to go to scammers? How did it allow that money to be stolen? And what's being done to ensure that it won't happen again? Well, ODJFS spokeswoman Dacia Clemente issued a statement to us saying they declined to answer, but they say there is an investigation ongoing, but they won't say into who or what. So uh, the spokesman for the Ohio Department of Administrative Services, which oversees the OHID system, J.C. Benton, he says that computer code flaw only affected the unemployment side of the OHID system, and no other systems were threatened by this. Uh, There was a code fix last week after a recent spike in fraudulent claims, and that led to 28,000 accounts being locked. So yeah, quite a mess. But apparently they're, you know, but they also say, too, we don't want to let you know what's going on because there's a security issue, but I wonder if that's really the issue.
0: Yeah, well, and I just don't believe them. I, I mean, I don't trust anything they say. I think the only reason they said this is because we were raising hell about the Ohio ID system. That's supposed to be secure. That's where you pay your taxes and provide all sorts of confidential information. So they came out and said, oh, no, no, that's safe, but we're not telling you anything else. And There's a complete lack of trust here. The system has been completely broken now for three years. People are suffering as a result. I mean, this is one of the biggest failures of the DeWine administration and being secretive is their way of trying to cover it up.
3: Although I did find the article interesting and people should find it on Cleveland.com is that they were talking about which crime rings are actually exploiting these breaches or these vulnerabilities in the system and apparently there's been a huge surge in recent months. We talked to a security expert Blake Hall the CEO of ID.me and he says it's mostly West African crime rings and then there's also like a Romanian crime ring that's using artificial intelligence deep fakes and bots to create driver's license and IDs that they use to apply for benefits.
0: Well, you, you, you have to just think about the, the the battle here. You got the unemployment office using the equivalent of Radio Shack trash AD computers, and you have the scammers using AI. Who's going to win? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, they're up against it. And I, I expect we will be talking about more scams for, for many years to come because this office just is not up to the task. I don't know what it is there, why they can't figure out a way to get technologically adept you're listening to Today in Ohio. So golf carts are to blame? whats Putin Put-In-Bay's solution to the out-of-control crowds and fights that required SWAT teams from three counties to quell over the weekend? And, Laura, we should point out there were only a handful of arrests, which is amazing when you think about all the SWAT teams coming. If this were in a city like Cleveland, I have a feeling there'd be a whole lot more people arrested.
2: That's a good point. I was there just a few weeks ago and marveled at the plethora of golf carts available from all sorts of businesses by the Miller Ferry, out by the airport, and then in downtown. And I wondered exactly how many there are. Well, no one really knows. There's no actual census of golf carts, but the mayor guesses between 2,500 and 3,000, and they were all rented on Saturday. They were driving on the sidewalks through the park in the middle of town, causing total gridlock. I mean, this is a small island, South Bass Island, and the town itself is only about six blocks long. So the mayor, Judy Berry, said that island may have to restrict the number of golf carts available to rent on the island and on village roadways because of all of the problems. The thing is, this is the traditional Christmas in July weekend. The last week, well, I guess it it's not the last weekend of July, but closest to the 25th and the Island used to celebrate it. But after they had too many rowdy crowds, they stopped and no businesses were celebrating that this weekend, but still the crowds came and they weren't ready for them. And then when the last ferry left at like nine o'clock, I guess the whole Island emptied out.
0: The whole idea of golf carts, it just seems so uncool. I've never been there and probably will never go there. <laughs> but the whole image I get is like a bunch of drunken geriatrics screaming free bird as they get in their <laughs> golf carts to drive around the island. I mean, how, how much unrest can you have when the people are driving? And golf
4: carts?
2: Literally, like, I mean, and I was driving a golf cart a couple of weeks ago. You can't go more than, I don't know, 15 miles an hour. I'm coming up with it. I, I, like you, you You have your pedal to the ground and you cannot go very fast. But that is why people go to Putin bay They go to drink because it is a bar it is bar after bar after bar. I think there are some like seven swim up bars alone. Um and and bars on the the decks and the docks and people boat in there and dock just to, to go to these bars. And then and then they want the golf cart because they kind of I mean, it's I, has, like bumper cars for grownups? I don't know. What's the
0: age of the crowd? Is it like middle-aged people? It's not teenagers, right? It's not it's young It's not people.
2: teenagers. And I do want to say that during the week, it is family friendly and there is a campground and you can definitely go with your family and have a lovely time. And there are cottages of people that go up there every summer. So it's not just like, you know, Daytona Beach <laughs> spring break. But on the weekends, I would say it's a lot of 20-somethings. Uh, just that's where they go.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Wind turbines seem always to be controversial with somebody, but Ohio's Supreme Court put to rest a bunch of challenges to a proposed Ohio wind farm. Layla, what were the arguments that fell in a unanimous decision?
1: We're talking about a 71-turbine wind farm that was proposed back in 2019. Firelands Wind, which is a subsidiary of Apex Clean Energy, was proposing it on 32,000 acres in Huron and Erie counties. And it it, it would have a capacity of nearly 300 megawatts, which is enough to power 85,000 homes a year. But local residents, plus this organization called the Black Swamp Bird Observatory, challenged the development's permit, along with some procedural arguments. They were accusing Firelands Wind of ignoring what they said is a number of of, uh, environmental risks from the wind turbines, including contamination to groundwater, noise that would cause stress annoyance and health damage, interruptions to bird migration, and harm to insect-eating bats, among other things. On each of those arguments, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled in favor of the the turbine company. And in several of those arguments, they noted that the Ohio Power Siting Board heeded the plaintiffs' concerns and actually adjusted the permit that was issued to the developers. So now the plan is back on, and they hope to have the wind farm operational by 2025.
0: The, the turbines are interesting because it's green energy and anybody wants to get away from the fossil fuels and natural gas, which in Ohio is green energy, ha 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 would like this, right? Solar wind energy, that kind of thing is good, but there's a whole level of, of green people, the birders that hate them because they think they do huge damage to the birds. And so you always have this clash of, of these groups that you would think would mostly be a line.
3: Can I jump in here? Because there's a study, and I want to say it's out of Denmark or Sweden, but they found that if you paint one of those turbine blades black... It allows the birds to see it and avoid it. So there are strategies out there to minimize bird and bat strikes. And also, too, I mean, I have a friend in Palm Springs, California. i visited him several times. And the Amtrak station is right in the middle of a very large wind turbine field. And they are almost silent. I mean, people say, oh, there's this noise. I'm like, I'm surrounded by a thousand fans and I really can't hear them.
0: That's interesting, Lisa, because I read I read a long piece about this a few months back and the it kind of explained why birds are in danger from these. And it's because when birds are flying, they're not the, the evolution hasn't been the look ahead. They're looking down at because there's nothing up that high that they would normally run into. Mm. Um, and that's why they run into them. But I wonder if that painting, one of the the, the blades black somehow gets their attention mm-hmm. or, or something so that they do see it.
1: Also, what's worse for birds is global warming and coal pollution. And light so- pollution, yep right so I feel like you know put it on the balance what's inter I, I noticed that the court in in Jake's story it says that the court is also reviewing four similar challenges to permits granted to solar farms in Ohio
2: oh what are the challenges to that Jake has a great story coming this weekend about this one attorney who's fighting I don't know dozens of of green energy projects including solar farms and they're saying the setbacks aren't enough that they don't want to be so close to that and they claim they're noisy which what they claim the same thing about the wind turbines i mean i don't live next to one but i don't understand how that's possible
1: they should just instead put a pickleball court there and see how the (laughs) residents like that
0: (laughs) oh boom chish all right moving on you're listening to today in ohio What are the highlights of the latest iteration of a lakefront development plan introduced by Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb Thursday? Although we should point out that Bibb introduced the idea. To get a conversation started, it is by no means a completed plan.
3: That's Lisa. That's correct. And they're going to be looking for public input over the, the sub rest of the summer and into the fall. So this draft proposal unveiled yesterday at the Great Lakes Science Center shows 21 and a half acres north of Brown Stadium and just a whole lot of amenities. But the I guess the, the focus of this is the extension of the downtown mall towards the lake would take a gentle curve as it crosses the Ohio 2 Shoreway and the railroad road tracks and then it will descend to a beach and this 21-acre development zone. They're proposing 600 to 1,000 housing units, an 8 to 12-story hotel with 200 rooms, about 40 to 80,000 square feet of retail 400,000 to 800,000 square feet of commercial and office space, and then there's like 25,000 square feet that they're looking at for a possible food market, an entertainment venue, or a community center. So, um, and you know, the renderings are beautiful. We do have some pictures, and there will be some terraces and shade elements that lead down to the water's edge, and they call that the new Front porch. Uh, This there's going to be a there's a project team called the North Coast Lakefront Project Team, and they'll be holding several rounds of public hearings through the rest of the summer. They're going to have pop up hearings in city parks, grocery stores, and neighborhood festivals, and then they'll have a second round in the fall.
0: I I don't want to come across like the cynical pessimist here, but it wasn't three years ago that everybody was dazzled by the lakefront plan offered by Dean and Jimmy Haslam. Remember, we all were talking about it, and it was going to affect the highways, but it was the big, bright, shiny. So eventually, Justin Bibb gets elected. He takes control of the lakefront planning. This doesn't look really anything like that Haslam plan. So in three years, will we be talking about something else, or is this actually... The first one ever that is like,
3: well, I don't know in the 2021 Haslam plan, you know, they say that that helped kick start the whole discussion over lakefront development and the Haslam plan. Currently the estimate is about 229 million, but you know, the Haslam say they're committed to working with the city, county and state on how to remodel the Brown stadium at the end of the land bridge.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing you really don't see in here is Burke. Burke takes up half of Cleveland's downtown lakefront. It's an airport that is little used. Uh, Justin Bibb did say at a planning event we hosted with the American Planning Association Tuesday that he's still taking a hard look at that. That could be gone. He's the first mayor we've had probably ever, that's willing to talk about that. Although the people in the crowd afterwards were saying, I don't know why we have to keep talking about this. When they did it in Chicago, they just sent in the bulldozers, (laughs) carved up the runway and said, we'll figure it out later. Um, I I wish we had that kind of drive here.
2: I think this plan is so cool. And the idea of having kayaks launching on a beach and being able to swim downtown is something I didn't even think was possible. Because if you ever go over by like Rock Hall in that harbor, like it's gross. <laughs> the way things kind of congregate there. But I don't think people are ever going to come and access the lake unless we address the parking issue, which I think yeah. that's something we need to talk about. Also the safety, like the way we talk about violence in the city. It's been huge this summer. People aren't going to come if they don't feel safe.
0: Well, and you can't use public transportation to bring a kayak. No, to the you lake cannot. Train,
2: so. <laughs> My unless paddleboard and a backpack.
0: Unless it's a fold-up or a blow-up. Still, I, those are uh,
2: really heavy. My blow-up uh, paddleboard. I'm I'm not hiking with that.
0: All right, you're listening to today in Ohio. Anyone driving down Interstate 271 near Wilson Mills Road knows about the Progressive Insurance presence there and what that employer has meant to Mayfield Village. What's the earth-shaking news delivered to that village this week, Laura?
2: They're consolidating all their businesses. So Progressive is going to leave its current headquarters on Wilson Mills Road and make its second campus on North Commons Boulevard the new corporate headquarters. It's also doing this at offices in Indiana, Colorado and Florida. And like many employers, Progressive started letting employees work from home during COVID and it hasn't made everybody come back. Most of them who can are choosing to work from home. They're at 8 to 10% occupancy, which, wow, Um, I'm actually surprised they gave us that number. So they they said that consolidating their offices will let the employees who do come in be more collaborative, and people who are remote can continue to be productive. They're going to continue to offer these flexible work options. So good for them for listening to their employees and what they want. Bad for the cities that depend on the income tax, even though, to me, it sounds like they're kind of in denial about it.
0: Yeah, where they said, oh, we have a reserve to get through. Well, if you're getting half the taxes you used to get, that's not going to carry you. Look, Progressive has been very good to Mayfield Heights. If you drive through that town, they have used that tax money to build all sorts of great recreational opportunities for the residents, including a pretty spectacular pool and and swim park. But this is the ramification of the pandemic. This is just uh, you would never have predicted just five years ago. The progressive would be shrinking so massively its presence in the village of Mayfield. And here we are. I mean, what happens to all those buildings?
2: And the thing is, this is three suburbs we're talking about Highland Heights, Mayfield Heights and Mayfield Village. And they have offices in all of them. So even if they're keeping some of them, it's going to affect the different suburbs differently depending on which buildings they choose to close.
0: Well, and let's face it, the workers are everywhere. So they're paying taxes wherever they're working now.
2: Well, and that's, um, I mean, so you got to think that a lot of the people who work at Progressive were already living on the east side. And so maybe a bunch of them live in those towns already and they're still paying. I don't, we don't know. We're still looking into that. We're looking at the property taxes and the income taxes and and the budgets of the cities.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, inmates at the Cuyahoga County Jail will have to keep eating disgusting glop for another two months. Why? Well, so despite the many reports of how terrible this food is, so
1: terrible that jail officers have said they're afraid it's going to cause a riot one day, county council is likely to move ahead with extending Trinity Services Group's contract for at least another two months. That is going to cost... $937,000. County Council's Public Safety and Justice Affairs Committee reviewed the contract extension on Tuesday and recommended that the full body approve it. It would cover service through at least September. By then, the county might have alternatives to consider, but it's unclear whether Trinity is the, you know, the top vendor that's under consideration. The new sheriff, Harold Pretel has been charged with reviewing all of the jail contracts, including the food service. So we'll see what he comes up with. But remember, we're also still dealing with the conflict of interest surrounding that commissary contract because Keefe, which is the vendor that supplies commissary, is owned by the same parent company as Trinity. So when inmates can't stand the jail food, they're forced to turn to commissary to supplement their diets. And it just seems so obvious that this company has a financial incentive to keep the jail food inedible. That needs to be resolved. It's really shocking that counsel has not pounced on this.
0: I think the new sheriff could have made a big splash one of two ways. He could have gathered up a bunch of the Cleveland's well-known chefs and said, hey, come in the jail for a day. Let's give these guys a gourmet meal in between their glop. Or just oh, get a McDonald's. Oh, I think that would have made,
1: it, the riot would have been imminent then <laughs>
0: <laughs> as soon as those chefs left. <laughs> but then, or bring in McDonald's. You know, once a week, we're going to give him McDonald's because we know how bad the food is. Just something to say, it's a new day in the jail, not yeah. just you got to eat glop for two more months.
1: <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the councilman, Scott Tuma, who said he sampled the food and that it was decent tasting? <laughs> he said it wasn't horrific. He's, his chicken cutlet was a little cold in the middle but otherwise not awful.
0: (laughs) Well, I saw the pictures. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. You're You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is RTA's novel approach to helping workers get to jobs in the area around Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? Lisa, we've been talking about RTA giving the big raise to their director and questioning it. It's nice to have something good that they're doing. What is it?
3: Yeah, they're creating a new workforce connector. They call it Microtransit for employees or job seekers who use the Red Line and the 54, 78, and 86 bus line. They can be picked up at the Brook Park Station for free rides to their jobs in what's called the AeroZone Alliance region. So this is the area around Cleveland Hopkins Airport and the NASA Glenn Research Center. The goal is to increase employment opportunities in North Olmsted, Fairview Park, Berea, Middleburg Heights, West Cleveland, and Brook Park. This is an 18-month pilot program. And so they're working with Share Mobility. This is providing first and last mile transport and advanced ride scheduling. And uh, the funds, half of it will be be i'm sorry i'm saying that wrong so half of the cost will be shouldered by share mobility with rta and then they're going to get a state grant that pays the other half which would be up to three hundred thousand dollars depending on the ridership that's generated by this micro transit system it's similar to a micro transit program that was launched in solon just a couple months ago that one has already provided a thousand rides to four employer centers within its first 70 days of existence.
0: Yeah. You got to salute RTA. This is a great approach. It's, it's an innovation. It's smart and it's helping people get to work easier, which we need to see. You're listening to today in Ohio. We've got a special segment today out of the usual. We have, uh, my colleague, Mark Bona, who's just written a best-selling already book. Number one sports biography in the country. As soon as it hit the sales, Uh, we're going to talk about how Mark came to write that book and what surprised him about it. Uh, I'm not going to say who the book's about. I'm going to leave that to Mark. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. So what led you to write the book and who's it about?
4: Well, the book is called Joe Thomas, Not Your Average Joe. I was very proud of that title. For once, a title came to me almost just instantaneously. And it's about the Browns great offensive lineman, uh, Joe Thomas. And when he retired... Uh, after the 2017 season, uh, I, like several other people, felt that he was an absolute shoe in first ballot Hall of Famer, and I started thinking about uh, doing a book on him. And I, I had interviewed Joe twice before, and I really had a good sense. I thought he had uh, just he's just a good guy. And that proved to be to be very true. So over the next couple of years, I I had reached out to Joe once about doing a different type of book. He, He wasn't interested. I reached out again and said, look, I'd like to write either a biography or an autobiography with you. And I left it up to him, and we went back and forth, and he brought one of his agents on board, and we went back and forth. And And finally, he said, you know, this will work. And and Joe suggested, uh, he said, do you know Dan Murphy? And I said, well, I, I know of Dan, but I don't know him. And Dan is a longtime communication staffer with the Browns. He's a very good buddy of Joe's. And it turns out they both started with the team the same year. So Dan and I started talking, and we figured a unique approach to this book would be basically half biography, half autobiography. So that's really the approach we took on the book. And it was, uh, it was a fun ride uh, doing most of the research and writing last year.
0: I, I should point out for people who might not be familiar with Mark, he has one of the most eclectic beats in, in our newsroom. He is our beer expert. He's our wine expert. He writes a lot about restaurants But he also writes a lot about sports, sports history, sports memorabilia, sports personalities. And he has written a number of popular books. And so the Joe Thomas was a brilliant subject for him because it's right up his alley. So you'd followed Joe Thomas's career, as many people in Cleveland have. What did you learn in this process that surprised you? A handful of things. Well, there were a few things, and, and I'll go back briefly to the very
4: first interview I did with Joe. Uh, you know, athletes and famous people and celebrities, when you, uh, when you interview them, it's always interesting to get them talking about something that's not in their wheelhouse, because sometimes they really come alive. And that's exactly what happened uh, in, in an interview I had with Joe. Joe was very involved with uh, Taste of the Browns, which is a Cle- Greater Cleveland Food Bank uh, annual fundraiser. And I was covering it and I was uh, taking pictures and I was interviewing people and I had to do a video interview with Joe and I went up and I asked him you know, I introduced myself, told him what I was doing. He said, sure, I'll I'll talk to you. And I started off, I, by the way, at this point, Chris, I didn't know of Joe's sense of humor. And and that was the first thing I learned. So I, I asked him a straight question, expecting a serious answer. And I said, Joe, you grew up in Wisconsin. What did you eat growing up? And he, with a straight deadpan face, he looked at me on camera and he said, Well, Mark, like a lot of young boys in Wisconsin, I grew up eating a lot of cheese curds and drinking a lot of beer. (laughs) And I thought, oh boy, I got one. And so fast forward to when I was researching the book, I learned a lot about Joe and his sense of humor. I had a lot of people tell me, from his high school days, say, Mark, I watched this guy after a Browns game being interviewed, and what you see is what you get. He is the same goofball that he was back in high school. He always had a good a good sense of humor. I've got a few anecdotes in the book about that. Uh, but even now, when he's doing his post-game analysis, he, he and his uh, announcing partner – uh, Chris Rose after a game about a year ago. They were doing a preseason game and they're wearing these bright orange shirts. And Joe, with this classic straight face, just looks at the camera after the game and it was really hot out. And he says, yeah, we got to get these shirts back to the local prison because they looked exactly like, <laughs> like 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 shirts. And it was really hot that day. It was I want to say it was an August game. They were sweating. And, and Joe, they were both making a point about how bad they smelled. And Joe said, I, I'm going to go home and put a couple of used diapers on of my arms, I'll probably smell better. I mean, he's always cracking like that. I think this is important because, number one, it shows he's a well-rounded person. I think having a sense of humor is, is a good thing. And number two, too many announcers on TV simply do not have a sense of humor, but they think they do, and it just drives me up the wall. So now we've got a guy who can put two sentences together, he can analyze a game, and he's funny. So what more do you want? So right off the bat, I think the first thing I learned about Joe is he's, uh, he has an absolutely great sense of humor humor.
0: How much time did you spend talking to him for the book? So I had several
4: interviews with him that were toward the end of the research because I really wanted to gain more knowledge and Uh, You know, I would say we had several days where we were on the phone for a good couple of hours each time. And I also interviewed a lot of other people close to him, his parents, people who played with him and against him in high school, people he played with in college, people he played with in the pros. Uh, Dan talked to him at length about various aspects of his career. And and we learned learned quite a bit uh, about him. And another thing I learned, And this is not a surprise to most sports fans, but, you know athletes at at any, in any sport at a high level were probably really, really good at other sports. That is extremely true for Joe, but he was at a very, very high level with two other sports in particular, actually more sports, but the two other sports were basketball and track and field. He was an excellent basketball player. His high school was basically living in the state finals. Every year he was in school. He had a bunch of buddies he played with. The team gelled quickly and cohesively. Uh, They had a very good coach, Mark Adams, who really got along with the guys. And Joe was being recruited as a basketball player in addition to football, in addition to track and field. It got so serious to the point where Adams told me, we had had to sit down with Joe and say, look, this is your life and your choice. But as soon as you make a decision on which sport you're going to go after for a scholarship, you need to let me know because I've got basketball coaches knocking down the door here. So as soon as Joe said, I'm going football, Coach Adams then reached out to uh, a, a college basketball coach and the guy said, oh yeah, we've heard already. The pipeline was that fast. Wow. And as good as Joe was at basketball, he was even better at, at in track and field. He was one of the best discus throwers in the state of Wisconsin and was up there in the country. And amazingly, Chris, he was even better at shot put. So much so that really what sold him on college, he was recruited all over the place, but Wisconsin was, you know, kids go to college to play sports for various reasons. They get sold on the limelight. They get sold on being on ESPN. They get sold on a lot of things. They get sold on being able to start their freshman year, whatever. All Joe wanted was the assurance that the school would be open to him uh, throwing shots. And Wisconsin said, we can make this work. And they did for a couple of years. But I talked to a lot of people who who knew Joe and, they, they, and I, I said, look, I'm not trying to ask an easy question. I want an honest answer. How good was Joe in shot put? And several people told me not only would he have have been an Olympian, he would have won a gold medal. He was at that type of a level. And the only reason he didn't is just the time thing. And for those who don't know, college athletes, you can say what you want and generalize all you want, but college athletes are some of the best people around when it comes to time management. They need to be in class, they need to study, they need to be on the practice field, and they need to be ready for games. There's not a whole lot left for screwing around. Obviously, some guys do, but many are more like Joe, and they get all their ducks in a row, and they take care of business. But it was just too much to do football and shot put. So the other thing I learned, I'd say, is he was... I'm multi-sport star and I do not use the the word star uh, loosely at all. All
0: right. Well, he's clearly proud of the book. I saw him on Twitter retweeting that it hit number one on the sports biography the day it was released. So congratulations to you all. We've been running excerpts this week from the book. If you want to check it out uh, or you just buy the book like everybody else is, Uh, I think Mark has his first real bestseller here, right? i hope so i hope so it was, it was, uh, you it can't was retire mark we need you to keep covering beer and wine <laughs>
4: that's fine I, I like to say i get to cover all the fun beats sports entertainment sports history beer food wine it's it's all good and there's there's a lot going on in the city as you know and all of those topics
0: yeah and you can find mark on cleveland.com just search for his name m-a-r-c-b-o-n-a and you are listening to today in ohio We went a little long, but we thought you'd really want to hear from Mark about his book. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. And thanks to everybody who listens. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday.